Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I wonder if you've ever heard of a thing called a V2 rocket. Has anybody ever heard of a V2 uh, rocket? Uh, The V2 rocket was the Nazis' attempt at the end of the Second World War to cause panic among the Allies. It was the first ballistic missile, it was the first rocket to go into space, uh, unlike our foam rockets here. It was such a huge scientific achievement that at the end of the Second World War, the Russians and the Americans actually scrambled uh, to get hold of unused units. They wanted to acquire the technology. However, sorry, all that running around has now caught me out of breath. However, the Nazis failed to exploit its true potential, thankfully. Otherwise, many more people would have lost their lives or may have lost their lives to its destruction. Ironically, the V2 actually claimed more lives among those who were making it than it did in actual warfare. Now, there are various explanations for this, one of which reveals a massive flaw in the planning and strategy of the man considered by many to be the most despised man who ever lived, Adolf Hitler. Basically, what he did was he deployed forced labour to build the V2. And enough members of this workforce conducted enough sabotage that only one third of the rockets that hit their target actually detonated. The point is that we can learn lessons from people and characters in history. And it includes learning from people who are looked back on with horror and with disdain. In this case, the lesson would be don't make use of unwilling labour to deliver your plans for world domination. Or put it simply, just don't force people to do stuff. So you can have that as a free point. Um, It's a lesson in leadership. Basically, just don't force people to do stuff. That's the lesson we can learn from that. And there are lessons that I want us to learn that are gained through parallels between ourselves, us today, and one of the key figures in Jesus' journey to the cross. In fact, as I was researching this, this person's name and his picture came up alongside Hitler's among the most despised characters in history. What we will see is that there are parallels up to a point, and then our trajectories, you see what I did there, diverge hugely. The person we're going to look at actually felt immense guilt for the things that he did as indeed many of us, I think, we feel guilty for our sinful acts. We feel guilt for allowing sin, as it feels at the time, to overcome or to dominate us. It can cause us to have a negative view of ourselves because we see sinful acts that we carry out rather than the person that Jesus has made us to be. We see the greedy, the impatient, the angry person rather than the new creation in Christ, which is who we are. So we're in Mark, and we've got to chapter 14, and we're now going to pick it up from verse 32. But just to 
briefly recap on where we're at. Jesus and his disciples, almost certainly a, a wider group of people, are generally around and together, have been in Bethany, where Jesus was anointed with expensive perfume. They're a, they're a tightly knit group of people. They know one another very well. They're kind of living through their day-to-day routine uh, with one another, caring for one another. And they are doing that at the moment in this context of heightened tension as Jesus seeks to explain the nature of what is coming. They've enjoyed, or maybe you'd say endured, Passover together, including prophecies from Jesus uh, that they would betray and deny him this very night. You recall back in verse 19, it says that they were saddened. They're now at the Mount of Olives in the suburbs of Jerusalem. It would be a bit our equivalent of going to Heaton Park uh, on a warm spring evening. And in verse 31, of this chapter, Peter is completely emphatic. He says, even if I have to die, I will never disown you. And all of the others there agree with him. You get this sense of, it's hard, but together we will get through this. Let's pick up the story in a little bit more detail. Uh, So we're in Mark 14, verse 32. It says this, that they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him. So basically what's happened is they've all headed out uh, for the evening, uh, going to a well-known local public space, enjoying the evening air. And Jesus wants to pray. Uh, And he says to these four, right, or the four of them, he and Peter, James and John, they go on a little further. He began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, but obviously he didn't go so far that they couldn't hear him, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father. You can feel the emotion in his voice through this. He is beginning to feel the pain of what is to come. And then here it is at that moment of intimacy, the closeness that's revealed of Jesus' relationship to his father. Abba, it's an Aramaic word which when translated it means father, but it has has the sense of dad or papa. Paul goes on to use it a bit later a couple of times in his letters to describe the way that we would interact, the way that we would address God in our reborn state as part of God's family. He says, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. If you paraphrase it, you might say something like, Papa, you are supreme in all things. The message puts it like this, get me out of this. But please, not what I want. Do as you want. It's like he's saying, you're my father. I know you. I trust you. I follow you. I do as you will. Jesus is giving us an incredible insight on his humanity. He's accepting the inevitability of the circumstances and expressing the pain of that. He knows that in his human body, his death will hurt. He knows what his death will do to his friends, but he trusts his father in the midst of it. Philip Yancey says this, he says that we feel pain as an outrage. Jesus did too, which is why he performed miracles of healing. In Gethsemane, he didn't pray, thank you for this opportunity to suffer, but rather pled desperately for an escape. 
and yet was willing to undergo suffering in service of a higher goal. Verse 37 says, Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Can you imagine the frustration for Jesus? An hour or so ago, you were saying, even if I have to die with you, I go to pray and you fall asleep. Once more, he went and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They didn't know what to say to him. Returning a third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the moment where the high drama kicks in. Jesus knows exactly what is going to happen. He has always known what was going to happen. He still knows what is going to happen. Coronavirus, elections, Jesus still knows what's going to happen. He can't be tricked, he can't be fooled, he can't be caught out. And when I say he always knows, I mean since the very dawn of time, Jesus has been fully aware. He's been fully aware that he would be betrayed, but also fully aware that sin would not only enter the world he'd created, but that creation would be consumed by it, to the point where even the pinnacle of his creative power, human beings, would be, become by their very nature sinners. He's always known that betrayal would become part of the cycle of interaction between God and man. Verse 43. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Here he is, the miser, the thief, the schemer, the traitor, has revealed himself. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. There are three things that I want us to see today about sin from this story. The first one is that Jesus knows about sin in advance. We saw that a moment ago. The second is that we plan to sin. We scheme. Judas made a plan. He schemed. Satan is a schemer. It always has been, and he always will be. And the third thing is that there is a way out for us. Let's just finish off looking at this story here in Mark 14. One of the most famous events in the Bible is about to happen here. Then one of those standing near drew his sword, drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Now, Mark is very generous because he doesn't name the perp. John is less diplomatic. It was Peter. Was Peter trying to prove his claims of a little earlier? I will die with you. I will never disown you. I know I fell asleep, but look, I'm ready. 
I don't know. But clearly tensions are running very high. And Jesus, I think, then moves to calm the situation. Verse 48, am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. He said, like, look, I'm not, I'm not resisting. You could have picked me up long back. I've not been hiding. Then everyone deserted him and fled. It feels like in the course of minutes, the disciples, the other followers are flipped from we're with you, whatever, to we're out of here. They flee. In verse 51, great stuff here. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. What? I'll ask you a question. Are you ready to flee? I'm going to come back to that in just a few minutes. The Bible's amazing, isn't it, really? It's full of moments of high drama, many of which have found their way into sort of common biblical knowledge many people would know about. Uh, Someone's ear being cut off, may not know why, but along with a man not eaten by lions or a giant being killed by a stone, there are these accounts through the Bible that have seeped their way into wider culture, which is great. can lead to a little bit of familiarity. We can sometimes miss themes that equip us for our journey. As human beings, like it or not, there is a huge obstacle, a cavernous divide between us and God. Short and simple word with you and me right in the middle. S-I-N. Yeah. We're going to spend the next quarter of an hour talking about sin. And the way we're going to do that is by seeing how Judas and I are remarkably similar. First of all, if you track back through Mark and the other Gospels, you find that Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him. At the Last Supper, he openly prophesied it. John's account of it has Jesus specifically handing a piece of bread to Judas to identify him as the traitor. In the same way, Jesus has always known about our sin. He's always known about my sin. Similarity number one. But who is this guy? Who is Judas? We don't really know a great deal about him from the Gospels. It's perhaps not surprising given that he probably wasn't flavour of the month or year, century or decade for that matter. And the Gospels were written immediately after all this happened. But what we do know is that he was a thief. He took money from the collective purse. He lacked generosity. It was he who objected to the perfume poured onto Jesus. He was a schemer. He collaborated with the chief priests to get Jesus arrested. And he suffered from guilt. He returned the payment for the betrayal. Does it sound like anyone you know? Not always completely honest. Certain acts conducted in secret perhaps a little selfish or envious, talks about someone else behind their back and then felt guilty for what he'd done? Could be me. I've done stuff that other people don't know about. I can even label it as having good motives. Certainly think about myself and my needs 
before others. You ask Claire, she'll tell you. I get frustrated with other people and I moan about them. And I feel guilt for having done those things. But none of that comes as a surprise to Jesus, which is why I don't mind telling you. Jesus, Judas, I mean, didn't catch Jesus off guard. And neither do we. One of the great mysteries of God is that whilst he abhors, he hates sin, he did nonetheless permit sin to come into the world. He presented Adam and Eve in that other garden at Eden with a choice. He said, look, here's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat from it. But the tree was still there. He didn't put a fence around it, gave them an instruction and presented them with a choice. We don't know why he did that. But in any way to suggest that he didn't know exactly what they would do is to say that there is at least one thing that God is ignorant of. And let me tell you, God knows everything. That's a quote. You can look that up. Jesus knew Judas would sin. He knew that you would sin. He knew that I would sin. And he knew that we would be repeat offenders. Second parallel between us and Judas that I want to spend slightly longer looking at is the issue of Judas's plan to sin. Judas' ultimate sin, the actual act of betrayal, was planned. He thought it through. In verse 10 of this chapter, it says, he went to the chief priests to betray Jesus. An opportunity was created, developed, and then executed. We can't fully understand the nature of the temptation that captured Judas. We, we know that Satan entered him. We can suspect that he had become impatient with the pace of change going on around him. Like many Jews, uh, at the time he would have wanted Roman rule and occupation to come to an end. We know there was a general feeling or expectation that Jesus would overthrow the Roman oppressors. He would gather a militia and initiate an insurgency, but, but nothing was happening. Maybe he felt that by creating a hands-on conflict that a riot would ensue. Uh, maybe tempers would boil over. He must have watched Peter cut off that ear and his heart would have leapt. And it's like, right, that's it. It's all going to kick off now. Whatever it was that motivated him, he planned to sin. Temptation took hold of him and the sin became inevitable. I wonder if that sounds familiar to you. I said a few minutes ago that as human beings, we have to overcome the great problem of sin. Now, we're going to see this as we come to a close, a little bit more, a bit more detail. But the reality is, for, deep, for believers, for, for those who can say Jesus is Lord, the good news is this. The problem of sin has been overcome. It's what Jesus did at the cross. What we have to deal with is temptation that leads to sinful acts. Temptation is a test that presents us with a choice to be faithful or unfaithful to God. We see it in this story in verse 36, Jesus returns to his closest three friends and finds them asleep. He says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. What he's saying is that guard yourselves against temptation. Don't let it get hold of you. 
So at this moment, that means that you need to do two things. The first is you need to watch out. You need to stay awake. You need to stay with it. Rich talked about that a few weeks ago. Watch out for thieves and vagabonds and ne'er-do-wells who could be prowling around looking to steal or do us harm, just like Satan and his agents do with us. And the second thing is he says, pray with me. Choose to be faithful, not unfaithful. As the message puts this, it says, don't enter the danger zone without even knowing it. We make a choice to sin. Sometimes it may be unconscious, but a lot of the time it's thought about. Maybe not for very long, but you have a moment when you can choose. Paul puts it like this to his favourite disciple. He puts it like this to Timothy. He says, flee temptation. If we choose not to flee, then we are planning to sin. Consider Judas in this situation. He's made all the plans and he's made his agreements and he's gone along with a mob commissioned to go and arrest Jesus. He can identify Jesus, but he still has a choice. He didn't have to kiss Jesus. He could have kissed Peter or James or one of the others and that person would have been seized and Jesus would have escaped. Judas still had a way out. What Jesus is warning those three in verse 36 to do is to get away from the temptation because it will lead you into a place you don't want to be. Now, there is a promise for us that those temptations will not be greater than that which we are able to resist. There will always be an escape. We need to choose to take it. In my life, that's demonstrated in a handful of ways that are a constant battle for me. I'm impatient. It leads me to getting frustrated and sometimes angry. I can become anxious about money. It leads me to being stingy or short of generosity. I can lack self-control. It leads me into lust. Now, I'm going to dwell here for a moment because I think this is a realm where the truth is many of us fight an ongoing battle. It's a complicated area and I'm, I'm very conscious that my white male Western worldview shapes the way I come at this topic. How this plays out differs from person to person, but I think if you're attracted to others, then I reckon this is pretty much how it goes speaking of myself, sitting, as a, sitting in a coffee shop, uh, someone walks in and I glance up to see who it is with the intention of returning to whatever I was doing. Could, could have been writing this talk. However, when I look up, I see an attractive lady. I have a choice. I can either go back to what I was doing or I can watch her for a bit longer. Or I can go back to what I was doing and create the pretense that I'm doing something more important than watching her, but then I use eye movement to get another look. Temptation is trying to lure me in. Nice shape, nice hair, nice eyes. If it gets me, then my admiration of that person's beauty, which is not sinful, starts to turn into fabricated desire, which is lust, 
which is adultery. The choice in that situation is to linger in the pleasure of sin or to flee. Now that could be a physical flee. It might just be better for me to pack up my computer and walk out. Usually it means just not looking. You see, sin is destructive and temptation is an extremely effective tool deployed by Satan, not by God. He does not tempt us. It is Satan's tool to lure us into sin. If I can flee the temptation, in that case, I am protecting myself, I'm protecting Claire, I'm protecting our marriage, I'm protecting our family and our friends. To not flee temptation like Judas didn't is to plan to sin. I asked you earlier on, are you ready to flee? The naked guy was not ready. His flea cost him his dignity. But for us, fleeing to the point of indignity is better than being seized. We can choose not to put ourselves into situations, into locations, into relationships that will generate temptation. If you know that you overspend, you're inclined to be greedy, delete the shopping app from your phone. If you know you can be lazy, end your Netflix subscription. If you chat to other people behind their backs, tell that other person something good that you saw those people doing. Maybe if certain kinds of fiction or TV, books, that kind of thing, takes your mind to places it shouldn't be, don't pick them up, don't turn them on. Now, I've, I've checked with her on this, and Claire doesn't mind me telling you that she doesn't read romantic fiction because it doesn't help her thought life. Let's decide now that our flee will be toward Jesus, away from temptation, not away from him and into the clutches of sin. Jesus knew that Judas would betray him. He knew that we would sin and that we would betray him. Judas planned to sin by allowing temptation to trap him. We plan to sin when we don't flee the temptation in front of us. Finally, and thirdly, this is the good news bit. Judas delivered on his plan. Jesus delivers on his plan. Judas made a plan with the chief priests and their henchmen. He sees an opportunity. He seizes an opportunity. He knows that Jesus will be in the garden. He knows that there will not be many people around. It'll be dark. And those going with him won't necessarily know what Jesus looks like. They can't follow Jesus on Instagram. So Judas agrees that whoever I greet with a kiss is the one you need to seize. It was completely normal for a disciple to greet his rabbi with a kiss. Now, if we each came in here on a Sunday and gave Andy a quick cheek rub, probably get... <laughs> A little, maybe he wouldn't, a little self-conscious. It's all entirely normal for them. And there it is. Jesus is seized, he's arrested, and he doesn't walk free again until he walks out of the tomb a few days later. Judas was always going to betray his master. 
He planned to do it, and he actually does. He delivers. Now, crucially for us, the man who was arrested, the man who was betrayed, the man who went on to be tried, the man who was delivered up, he also delivers for you and I. He sees it all the way through. This is the great news of the gospel, and I think we're going to hear it in different angles, slightly different accounts over the coming weeks, that Jesus, the God-man, Emmanuel, the Prince of Peace, the one through whom, by whom, to whom, all things were created and have their being, accepted the cup that the Father was placing into his hands. He went to the cross and he bore the pain of the guilt and the shame for the sins that you and I fall into, the sins we plan to commit, the sins he's always known about. The great problem of sin is dealt with once and for all. And that's where our parallel with Judas ends. We go in completely different directions. Judas had no escape. His life ended before death was defeated. Jesus died to deal with the sinful acts, the thoughts, the words that we fall into because of the snare of temptation. But he also, more importantly, he died to deal with our basic nature. An escape from death has been opened up. Sin entered the world through one man. And as a result, you and I became guilty before God. Death entered the world. And many have died as a result of that one man's sin. Because the very nature of human beings became sinful. But the gift of Jesus is justification, it is freedom, it is rebirth. As Paul said to the Romans, for as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And here's where we need to land. God has always known that sin would enter the world. He knew that we would be born into sin, that from birth we would be encumbered by a sinful nature. Judas was born with that, we were born with that. But the fact that sin entered the world does not mean that we are living in some kind of plan B. God was not caught out. We are living in plan A. Plan A has always been that Jesus would enter the world, that we, he would lay aside the majesty of heaven, he would take on human frailty so that he could sympathise with our weaknesses, that we would have one who has been tempted in every way and yet did not sin. Plan A has always been that he who had no sin would become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen? Amen. When we choose to follow Christ, when we make him Lord, that sinful nature that has encumbered us, that has dominated our lives up to that point, is put to death itself. It ceases to be our nature. The next time you hear a Christian, a follower of Jesus, describe themselves as a sinner, I want you to give them a little glance. I'll show you how to do it. You're not a sinner. Did you know that? You are a righteous person who from time to time gets trapped 
by temptation and falls into sinful acts. And the guilt we inevitably feel for those acts does not lead us to death, as it did for Judas, but to repentance, to saying sorry for not watching, praying, to stay out of the danger zone. There are parts of our story that are like that of Judas, and we should learn from him. But ultimately, because we have a saviour who has delivered and continues to deliver, we will reign in life through that saviour. I'd have to pray for you and ask Jamie to come back. Can I get you to stand? Jesus, I want to thank you for the continuity of your victory that is real in our lives. Jesus, I thank you that you delivered for us. You faced the worst of choices and yet you chose to do that which your father was giving to you and you did that for us you did that for the joy set before you the people who in decades and centuries and millennia afterward would choose to say yes I follow Jesus I put away my old self and I step into being a new creation and Jesus I thank you for the numbers of people standing in this room right now who have said yes That is the choice I make. I leave behind the old ways and I take up this gift of grace that says sin has no hold over me. That freedom and victory are my model for life. You know, there may be, you may be standing here right now and you think, do you know what? I've never, I've never made that choice. I've never actually said, I leave that behind. I'm going to allow Jesus to become sin for me. I'm going to allow Jesus to bear the pain of the guilt and the shame of everything that I've ever done wrong. I'm going to leave that behind and I'm going to turn to the one who can save me forever, who can deliver me forever. If you've never made that choice, then in a moment or two, we're going to, we're going to take communion. Now, what communion is, it's a moment where we get to remember the work of Jesus because it's like a demonstration of him breaking his body and pouring out his blood as a, as a sacrifice. It stands in between, in that, in that cavernous divide, in that gap. He pours himself into it. And as we do that, do you know what? You may never have taken communion before and you can take communion today. All you need to do is you just need to follow me as I pray for you now. And then in a moment, I'm going to pray for those who've already made that choice. But just if you've never said, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to leave my old way of life behind. I'm going to leave behind all the guilt and the shame. And I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm just going to pray. And you just say amen at the end of this. And and that will mean that when we pass around bread and wine in a minute or two, you just take that. And that will be a celebration for you.
Jesus, thank you for showing yourself to me. I thank you that you are real. I thank you that I can know you. I thank you, Jesus, that you are making a difference in my life. And I choose right now, in this place, on the 1st of March, 2020, I choose to follow you. I choose to lay down my life before you and accept your will for me. I accept your rule over me, your kingship over me, your protection over me. I receive that now. And you just say, Amen. And that means that you have just gone from being caught up in guilt and shame and brought into freedom and life. And for the rest of us, you know, dealing with sin is an ongoing battle. You know, it just doesn't stop. <laughs> but we, have, we are equipped to deal with it. We have been given grace. We've been given mercy. We've been given one another to help us through that. And it might be that, you know what, you're just conscious right now that you need to, there's something that you've done or you're something that's just been plaguing you. You just need to set it aside and give it back to Jesus and say, Jesus, look, I'm sorry. I repent. I turn away from that. Sorry for this thing that I said, for this person I offended, for this act I did, which I just, oh. And he'll just lift it off. And I just think, we're just going to pass bread and wine around. And I, I just believe that there is a moment of freedom to come as we just acknowledge, yeah, Jesus is the one who does that.